Welcome to the Ministry Podcast. It is such a privilege that you would tune in. All of my content is designed to bring hope to the dreamers and doers that Jesus offers us a better way to life and Jesus offers us a better way to lead. I hope you enjoy today's episode. In the Apprentice Workshop, the whole idea is Jesus offers us a better way to life, but he also offers us a better way to live. In other words, he offers us eternal life, but in reality, eternity starts now. And so we get to enjoy Jesus. We believe he's not just a brilliant, uh, we believe he's not just a beautiful savior, but we also believe he's a brilliant teacher. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, um, I'm actually reading it in the message paraphrase just because I love how he um, just summarizes this, uh, Eugene Peterson. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. This is Jesus talking, by the way. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And that's the, the hope of the journey we're going to take this summer, that we would keep company with Jesus. We learn to live freely and lightly. So I wish I was walking around the tables. I didn't really hear some of the answers, but I would love to kind of figure out what is your definition of spiritual maturity. They interviewed, uh, Barna Research interviewed a thousand people and asked the question, what is spiritual maturity? And out of a thousand people, they had a thousand different answers. Did everybody have different answers at your table? It's pretty interesting. This, in reality, you'd think this is something we should talk about all the time. We're growing into something, amen? We're not just being saved from, from something, but we're being saved to something. What they did recognize is two things. Number one, they all aspired it. They wanted it. They wanted to grow. They knew it was about growth, but almost none of them knew how to get there. They didn't know what it looks like. What is the steps besides the stereotypical pray and read your Bible and go to church? And don't underrate those for sure. But there is there more? And so what I want us to talk about tonight is we're looking at the four stages of the Christian life. We want to look at the four stages of the Christian life. Now, this is uh, based off of church history. Uh, I didn't make these stages up, um, but we really believe it'll bring you guys a lot of value. Before we jump into the four stages, and I want us to figure out the questions you're going to have after around your table is, which stage am I in? So I'd encourage you, as you're listening now, just kind of take some mental notes and kind of figure out, okay, am I in this stage or in that stage? Another thing about the stage theory, it is a theory, um, but this is based off of um, some biblical passages, but also just uh, throughout church history and looking at people's lives. You can be in multiple stages at once. Uh, it feels like today I was in stage two, tomorrow I'm in stage four, and so it just kind of goes back and forth. And it's not necessarily linear, linear where you just go to the next, to the next, to the next. Uh, but anyways, um, a lot of us have the wrong goal in the Christian life. There are goals, there's a lot of goals in the Christian life, but I'm here to ask you, what is the primary goal? That's the purpose of spiritual maturity, looking after one primary goal. Here are four goals that I believe deaden the soul. Four goals that deaden souls. Number one, holiness. Now, is holiness a great goal? Absolutely. Be holy, therefore, as I am holy. At the same time, though, this is a really hard goal because here's the secret. The holier you get, the more wretched you feel. So it feels like a really hard goal to get to because when you actually become holy, you recognize, wow, I am nothing without Christ. 
right? So holiness is an amazing goal for us, but it's not the primary goal. If that is your primary goal in life, it's likely you were kind of around a a legalistic kind of church environment. It's all about being different, being set apart, and it really has dried your soul. The second one is service. I'm really grateful for people who serve in the church, who serve the community. We absolutely need it, but here's the thing. If we just live to serve God, we will be burnt out. Jesus said here in Matthew 11, are you burnt out? Come to me and I'll give you rest. And if service is your primary goal, then rest will not be a part of the equation. I like to put it this way. We get so caught, off, caught up in marking off tallies for God when all he wants is for us to mark out time with God. Thomas Ashbrook, he has this quote. He says, Western civilization's growing fixation with accomplishment has brought productivity to the place of primacy. Success and accomplishment have become the goals in almost every aspect of life and culture. The problem is, we'll learn tonight, the further you get in your journey, the less accomplished you feel. And so we hope that you know there's more to that. Wholeness is one, I must admit. Um, So we taught this last year. I've changed uh, quite a bit from it because I kind of thought wholeness was the goal. I got super pumped to realize that you have a heart and you have a mind and you have a body. And so for me, I was recognizing how powerful what I do with my body influences my mind, which influences my heart. And I was so on this journey of making sure my heart, soul, mind, body, all of it were in unison. And I'm learning more and more through life and through this last year. It's impossible to achieve that balance. There's going to be seasons where God really gives you a lot with your mind and you go through a lot of intellect. And then there's other seasons where you feel like you haven't learned anything, but that's because he's working on your heart and your wounds. And so wholeness, again, we hope that we are whole. We're not just brains on a stick, but that is not the goal. The other one is enlightenment. This one is definitely one that I have believed for a lot of my life for no one's fault but my own, but I've always believed if I just have the correct theology, then I'm okay. It's all about knowing. But have you guys met that Sunday school champion who is a jerk, right? (laughs) Knows where the Bible, knows everything, but is never invited to any birthday parties, right? And so that is not the goal. Now, is enlightenment important? Absolutely. I mean, we're here learning right now. I'm not against it at all. But I like to say faith isn't about passing a test. It's about placing your trust. That's what he cares more about. And so I hope that encourages you. The primary goal is love. What does Jesus say in Matthew 22? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And forever I've known that. But I hope tonight begins the journey. Or maybe, I don't want to assume, maybe you're way ahead of the journey of me. But I'm hoping to come alongside of you and show how that truly, what that actually means in your day-to-day life. Thomas Ashbrook, he wrote this book, Mansions of the Heart. He is my mentor, spiritual director, one of my heroes. I was on Skype today with him, and I said, hey, just letting you know, that big, huge book you wrote, I'm trying to summarize it in 30 minutes tonight. And he said, good luck, brother. Okay? So he has this quote that I think is really, really helpful. He says, love is the essence of our relationship with God and its goal. From a biblical perspective, a loving relationship with God produces the fruits of holiness, service, and wholeness. So we will become holy. We will have service. We will be enlightened. We will be whole. But only if love is the goal. Or else you'll be frustrated. I was talking with him, and I think that what we're talking about tonight, these four stages, will be helpful for all of us. Because I think it'll be helpful because a lot of us get into this point in this journey where we feel like church, what's the point? Right? You're only there to serve and to give 
And we're hoping to come alongside of you and to recognize there's so much more of the journey to go and hopefully it'll encourage you. So at these four stages of the Christian life, there's two and two. It's on your notebook so you guys can flip the pages if you'd like. It's going to show um, the first half of the Christian life and the second half of the Christian life. I'm not sure what page number it is, but it's towards the beginning. And so we summarize uh, the first half of the Christian life. It's a lot about what we theologians call active spirituality. So we're going to define and figure out where you're at, so don't worry, we'll get there. But in your first half of your Christian life, this has nothing to do with age, everything to do with maturity. It's a lot of activity on your part, okay? It's a lot of, hey, if you read your Bible, you're going to grow. If you pray, God will show up. If you serve, God will do miraculous things. It's so much about, it's really cool. You do something, God meets you where you're at. It's amazing. It's called active spirituality. Okay, and so um, we definitely are in a world, amen, where our community needs us to be active in our spirituality, right? No amens. Okay, so what, how to define this? You pursue a life of love. Remember, love is the goal by leaning into your longings. It's a journey that you'll go on to recognize, oh, everything that I want is met in Jesus Christ. I want hope and a purpose and a reason to live, and I have looked for the world to fulfill those things. Oh my goodness, Jesus is better. Jesus gives me everything that I've been looking for my entire life. I got one amen. I'm doing good. Okay, so let's look at stage one. Stage one, historically, is called awakening. This is what Baptists would call your conversion moment. But I would argue it's more than just a moment. And let me give you some, some, um, some grace here. Uh, there's some of us in this room that don't remember the moment. There like, wasn't one. But you, you are certainly following Jesus, Okay. And so we believe in that. But this is a stage. It actually can happen for, for, several, for several years. Uh, you can put, um, we have, again, everything's on those mobile notes, but some examples of biblical texts are Ephesians 2 and 1 Corinthians 3. The way I would define it is you are redeemed from a pointless life to a purpose in life. You recognize we're not just molecules. We actually have meaning. Jesus is my Savior. And this is a honeymoon experience. You get baptized Everybody's clapping for you. You read the Bible, and you're like immediately motivated and inspired, right? You go to Sunday school, you learn something new, you're so excited. You love church. It's a beautiful season. The hard thing, me and uh, Pastor Caleb, there's a song out right now that that talks about, take me back to that honeymoon experience. And I want to argue, it gets a lot better than the honeymoon. I'll tell you, I thought I loved my wife on my honeymoon. It's a lot better now, Amen. And the journey with Jesus, you don't have to go back. There's so much more forward. And that's why we live with him for eternity. And so these are stages. And, and the, the really, the way, like the quote, uh, how you would define this stage is you're saying to God, God, I believe in you. In this stage of the Christian life, you're finally recognizing, God, I believe in you. Now, St. Teresa, I don't want to get too nerdy here, but St. Teresa of Avila, she was one of the people in the 1500s that kind of helped describe what these stages are. And she actually described them as mansions, which might be really helpful for you. She declared that these are mansions because it's more than just one room. Amen? Don't you guys know God takes you on these journeys and you enter into the living room and God keeps you there for months, maybe years. And then he introduces you into the next room and then he takes you to the man cave and it's amazing, right? And so you go through all of these different processes and other times you're in the toilet, amen, right? And you're just working some things out, okay? So recognize this is a mansion and just take hope in that, that you are already, I love Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. 
you're already almost in a place now. You are in a mansion of God's love, and this is a beautiful season. So I'm going to describe this, each stage, with, with three Ds. Number one is delight. So, so I want you to write down or figure out, there's also notes on the next page on your booklet if you'd like to take it there. In stage one, what are some of the delights? What are some of the beautiful things? There's a lot of delights. This is a honeymoon season. It's so good. We went to Disney World for a honeymoon. Praise God. I miss it. It's still closed. All right. So, so many good delights. Number one, you experience forgiveness. Isn't that so good? You recognize my past is my past. And even I can still mess up today, but God is gracious because of what Jesus did on the cross for my sins. I am forgiven. And there is a liberty. There is a freedom there. And let me just extend this to you. If you have never believed in Jesus before, friends, there is so much grace on offer if you just believe in him. But there's a lot of forgiveness. Another thing is you enjoy God's favor. So not just forgiveness, but you delight in God's favor. You just start to recognize God showing up in your life. You start to recognize how much God has shown up in your past, and you didn't even believe in God at that point. But here's the thing that kind of shows your immaturity. God is still a means to your lifelong search of security. Uh, and so, in other words, you use God to get what you think you want. Your prayers are a little more self-centered than somebody who's further along in the journey. And so everything is, God, I just have to have this car, right? I just have to have this house. And so you kind of find more significance in material things than somebody would maybe further down the road. And recognize this, I don't yell at my two-year-old daughter for not acting like a 20-year-old, okay? And so give yourself some grace. This is, this, Dad, you have a weird ear. Okay, so give yourself some grace and recognize, oh, this is just where I'm at. Now, me, we talk about as parents, we don't let that be an excuse. Amen? She's just two. I hate that phrase, right? Step up. Act like a three-year-old at least, right? And so recognize that there's maturity here. And so there's that weird God as a father. He wants you to grow, but he loves you where you're at, okay? When Trinity, she first started walking, I was pumped, but let's get to running. But that's not there yet, right? And so it's just slow steps. So those are some delights. I can go on and on. I feel like I don't have to explain those as much because most people in this room have experienced that. But the next part is deceptions. In this stage of the Christian life, we are deceived by the devil, by the flesh, and by the world. And let me just say, these are the two major ones, doubt. A lot of people in the first stage of the Christian life are riddled with doubt. Still at this point, the opinion of non-Christians really matter to you, right? As a youth pastor, and it's always about, but my friends think I'm weird, right? And that's something that you just have to process and work through. And it's like, it's not because of Jesus. Amen? All right? But anyways, that was a good joke. I think I'm weird. It's not. Okay. Um, yeah. Especially you, Bob. Okay. So um, I called you Bob. You're Bill. I'm dumb. I don't even feel bad that I called you that, Bill. You look like a Bob. All right. Now, some other doubts. I feel terrible. You're a good friend. Okay. Some other doubts is missing out on the world's fun right? Like, oh, but my friends seem to be doing so well. They're enjoying life. They're cutting corners, right? And they're getting all those things. And here I am going to church on Sunday mornings, missing out. Another thing, maybe the doubts you have is more intellectual. You worry that the Bible's too narrow, too rigid, too outdated. You struggle with its authenticity, its historicity. And let me just tell you, friends, there are answers to these doubts. And I always say, don't let the doubt move you out. But you can actually listen to that doubt and then say, okay, 
here's my doubts, God, where's the answer? And you won't find the answer right away, but it's this journey, and it's actually a journey of knowing God more. The other thing is temptations. You still pursue worldly aspirations. You're tempted uh, with the pleasures of this world, and they're hard to forfeit. Still, at this stage, you might have some addictions that you haven't been able to get rid of, and you actually kind of justify them and say, well, at least I'm forgiven. And you feel like there's no way out anyway, so you just try to cover it up by doing enough good things every week. The devil loves to tempt and to shame us during this season. The next thing is disciplines. So we've talked about delights, deceptions. Now talk about disciplines. I don't like this word disciplines, but historically this is the word that people use. It's essentially what we call at our church is the practices of Jesus. So it's things like reading your Bible. It's, you know, it's all those kind of things. And so here's the three that are really helpful in this stage. Bible study, number one. You have to know who God is before you can actually have this true intimacy that we're going to all be striving for. And the Bible is our guide to who he is. Now, has he revealed everything to us in the scriptures? No, but he's revealed everything we need to know about him in the scriptures. And so we have to learn our Bibles. And a lot of this is with our intellect. We have to understand what a biblical worldview is and be able to start to realize how it's different from the world and why that's a good thing. The next thing, though, is Christian community. You cannot live uh, the Christian life alone. And so in Christian community, you're encouraged. You, you see people ahead of the journey, and so you're not as, like, you recognize, oh, I can do this. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, life seems to be good for those who are following Jesus all the way through. This also is for discernment, though. In this stage, maybe you're picking a partner, a spouse, uh, and, and maybe it's not the right one, right? And Christian community, we're not like overbearing. Well, some of y'all are, but, you know, like Bob, whoever that is. Um, but, but we are like this discerning voice, right? And, and we're able to say, well, look at, look at the way he flosses, right? I don't know. That's the lamest thing I've ever thought of. But, like, look at the way he, I don't know, he, you know. And so, anyways, there's all sorts of discernment. And then prayer. So prayer is really basic in this journey, but it's amazing. You talk to God about everything happening, right? You just talk to him. A lot of it's just requests. You want to get some answers. But here's the thing. God is okay with that. You don't have to have a perfect prayer life, right? He doesn't care about the amount. He cares about your heart and your posture to him. And so your prayers, you stumble along the way, but God takes so much joy when you talk to him. But in this stage, you don't let him talk to you quite yet, but that's okay. Now, this stage in the Christian life, I guess for some, pers- some people, it can happen in a month. A lot of us, it's a year, two, 10, 20, especially for, say, that at an early age, we kind of hover around this first stage for quite a while. Just want to make sure you know that this isn't like, oh, good, man, it's, it's been long enough now. You need to move to the next stage. Uh, that, that's not how this stage theory works. Here's the next stage. It's called purgation throughout church history. Galatians 5 and Ephesians 6 uh, talks a lot about this. It's about fighting sin, getting rid of the sin in your life. Uh, the way that we kind of, the, the one word, the, the, the phrase that we add to it is, it's you're releasing disordered desires to feast on deeper desires. Disordered desires, God gave us, he wired us to want things, to enjoy things. And what sin is, it's, it's wanting something in a perverted order or in the wrong way or too much of it. And so it's actually this journey of recognizing, oh, what I want is right, but the way I want it is wrong. Okay? So, like, it's really bad when we do, like, the true love waits thing, and we say, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. And then on the, when a marriage day, it's great. You know, they're like, what? You know? 
And so it's actually, look, it's a be- from day one, it's beautiful, but in its right context, amen? And so the way that you share it and recognize how it's a good thing, it's not bad and then all of a sudden turns good. This phrase, again, the sentence that would describe this, the first one was, God, I believe in you. This one, you recognize, God, I belong to you. I'm in your family. You feel more of a community atmosphere like you are, like you're a Christian. But, and I, and I know some of our people in the room are in this season. It's a beautiful thing because you have pursued God in stage one, but now it's a dark valley. Stage two, um, you kind of feel like a schizophrenic because you want something, but you don't do it. You're like Romans 7, like I, I try to do the right thing, but I seem to always be doing the wrong thing. And you just feel like your desires are clashing with your reality. And sin is really, really complicated. And you really hate that you still struggle with certain things, right? And this is that stage where God is being gracious to you, but showing you that there are deeper desires. There's something better. I love it. John Ortberg has this quote. He says, God doesn't hate sin because he's anti-pleasure. He invented pleasure. He hates sin because it promises so much and offers so little. That's what you learn in stage two. Oh, God's not against my pleasure. He actually wants my pleasure, which is why I have to get rid of the sin in my life. The other thing that's hard, why this feels like a dark valley, is in stage one, it was so easy to improve. You read your Bible, now you learned something new. You went to church, now you're serving. You've never done this before. And so you feel progress. You can see progress. You're now going to that Bible study. You come here. It's amazing. You do that long enough, and now it doesn't feel like progress. It just feels like the same old thing. And so in stage two, those things don't feel like growth anymore. And that's okay, because now God is going to bring you into something more. Not to get rid of that. You're always, each stage is building on top of each other, amen? He's teaching you. You can't just jump to stage four. You have to learn what God has taught you in stage one and stage two. So here's some delights. I need to move, I need to keep moving, okay? Uh, Number one for delights, you start to recognize sin is not fulfilling. I know that doesn't feel like a delight, but it really is. You start to connect the dots and really see that there is something better out there. I did read a quote, I think, by Thomas Dubay. He said, most spiritual growth feels like backsliding. I think that's really good. Most spiritual growth feels like backsliding. That's a word, okay? Another delight is you you learn more about God. The knowledge of God increases. You're able to really work on your brain and your intellect. It's a joyful thing because there's so much to learn in the Bible. But here's some deceptions. Again, you can come up to me after. I have a few more delights. I get it, okay? I'm just trying to help a little bit, all right? Here's some deceptions. Um, The devil exaggerates worldly pleasures. Like, you are really struggling with pleasures of this world. Like, you really do think your friends have a better life than you do. Look at David in the Psalms. He's always saying, look, my enemies are doing way better than I am. What are you doing, God? And you kind of wrestle through that. It's very exaggerated. The other thing, though, that we don't recognize is from the enemy most often is harassment. This one's really big. Usually when we harass ourselves, it's like feeling of of shame, right? Like you shouldn't be forgiven, all sorts of things. We tend to think it's truth, and it's not. Because of the cross, that's not true anymore. There's no need for you to be harassed and to live in fear. But we, we we don't give credit to the devil where he actually deserves it. He is using your past against you. And so you allow that to really take foot in your life, and you believe that you'll never change. 
Um, Thomas Ashbrook has the quote, We often blame God or ourselves when much of the turmoil in our heads is caused by the devil's harassment. Hear this. God never teaches through negative reinforcement. God never teaches through negative reinforcement. But we think he does. And when holiness is your primary goal, you assume he uses negative reinforcement. But when love is the primary goal, negative reinforcement makes no sense. Okay, those are some delights, some deceptions, now some disciplines, some practices, what you can do throughout the week, throughout the year. Number one, though, is perseverance. You guys know the parable of the soils in Matthew 13? You know, some believed in Jesus and then fell away. And this one is so important. I see a lot of people in stage two, and they tried, and they were on, you know, it's like, we don't get it. He was on fire for Christ. That's because he was in stage one. But then the honeymoon ended, and they're not at church anymore. You guys experienced that before, right? You know, some people have done that. That's because, here's what I think. I think we need this roadmap and say, be encouraged. It means you're in the next stage of the Christian life. We need a roadmap and recognize we are actually still going somewhere. This is a part of the process. It's okay. It feels like you're backsliding. You are actually not. That's a whole other thing. But perseverance. Just persevere. This too shall pass. These moments will pass. Uh, The next thing is spiritual warfare tactics. Our church uh, just went through Ephesians 6, and so I encourage you, you guys can go to our podcast to to look at some of those. Um, But understanding, hey, this is war. And you can't just accept truth as truth. You need to fight with the truth of God's word and in community. Uh, Theology is important. It's important for us to continue to learn more about God and study the things of God. I would argue what you're doing tonight is a great step in that direction. And accountability. Um, There are sins you can't get rid of on your own. And so accountability, not in that, okay, somebody to slap your wrist, but somebody to pray with you and to care for you and to lament with you and to grieve with you and to walk life with you. The devil loves to make you feel like you're alone. Get some friends and you realize you're not that unique, right? The things you're going through, they're going through as well. And so it's a really big encouragement. Again, this stage takes years. And here's what really grieves me. A lot of people never go past this stage. I think part of that is we as pastors need to be accountable to that and and help people see what the next steps look like. Um, But also some of us just don't persevere. Now, again, Jesus may not be calling you to the next stage, but he's certainly calling you to a next step. And so I hope throughout this whole process you think, okay, God, I'm not going to try to jump a stage, but what is the next step? What is something new that you're trying to bring into my life? Now we have the second half of the Christian life. The second half of the Christian life, and those who are in middle ages and beyond, understand this. You pursue a life of love by leaning into your limitations. You recognize you're not going to save the world. But community is a lot more powerful than you realize to begin with. You'd rather go with somebody else than to go alone, amen? You find a lot of joy in your grandchildren. You're okay that you're not the strongest one in the room anymore. You lean into your limitations. In the Christian life, a lot of times we we hate this. So much preaching today is God will be here and you'll conquer and you got this. But that gets discouraging when your knees hurt, right? Amen. Yeah. And I've been in a season right now where, like, I thought my preaching was good, but I've been having to sit on a couch and watch on TV with the rest of y'all. And I'm like, Lord, I need help. I got stuff to do. I need to learn. All right. But then I've been saying, OK, God, at the end of the day, it's never about my strength. And that's a sign of spiritual maturity. It was always about you. Right. In my weakness, we are made strong. So what's stage three? Illumination. 
The light bulb turns on, okay? Ephesians 4 and Philippians 2 are some good passages that talk about this. Here's the big thing. You are redeemed from an impressive life to an empowering life. You really see this happen in pastors when they first start the church or whatever. Uh, I see this in my own life. I thought it was about the sermon. And we believe in the power of the sermon, absolutely. I mean, without it, what would we be? But you start to realize, oh my gosh, it's a whole lot more about them and, and helping them in their own unique journey. It's one reason why we're doing the workshop. Maybe for you, you're a parent, you recognize it's so much better to empower somebody, empower my children, than just to get all the accolades myself. The phrase, the sentence I would say for this one is, God, I'm working for you. So you went from, God, I believe in you. God, I belong to you. Now, God, I'm working for you. So this is great. Every pastor loves this stage because that means you're serving in the church. You're leading servants. You're getting work done. The only way church works is because we have people in this stage getting together, sweating, doing all this stuff to make sure people have an experience of God. We're so grateful for this. We experience a lot of fulfillment in this stage. This is like a breath of fresh air after being in a stage two for so long. You feel like life, your life's making a difference. Your life is now about others. You, 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 lay awake at, you lay awake at night praying for others, not just yourself. Now, what are some delights in this stage? You really are fully convinced that Jesus is better. There's nothing else the world has to offer. A great thing is in this stage, uh, delight is you have that inner assurance that you are his and he is yours, that you are his beloved. You have that stability. You don't have as many fears about your future. And it's a delight to use your spiritual gift. God's given you wisdom. Here is my actual skill set. Here's how I can make a difference in the community. And that feels really good. It's very enjoyable. What are some deceptions, though? There's a lot. Pride. You can, man, you can endure a you can gain a, a superiority complex because, wow, you know the Bible, a lot more Bible than everybody else. Wow, you serve a lot more than most people do, right? Another thing is distractions, though. The, sir, you ever um, notice people, some of you in the room, you serve so much, it, you, you overcommit and you're burnt out. But you think this is, remember, if you think your primary goal is service, you can't stop. You can't take a rest. You can't take a day off. God won't be happy with you if you take a day off. Being sarcastic here, okay? Don't quote me, right? Um, so, at this stage too, you can be deceived and stop praying for yourself. It's always about others. Biggest journey that God's been taking me on is realizing my spiritual director. You need to pray about you first. This feels so selfish, but examine your own heart. You need to enjoy Jesus before you make sure other people enjoy Jesus, right? And then also a deception is we just resolve to work harder or just learn more. And then we'll get through this, then life will feel better. But you get more and more frustrated. Matthew eleven twenty eight. are you tired? Are you burnt out on religion? Some disciplines here. You need a mentor. In this stage in the Christian life, you need somebody who's really been there to bless you, but also to remove some blind spots. Because you're in stage three, you start to get really stuck in some of your ways and you need somebody to really open you up to new possibilities. Also, ministry. I mean, a, a discipline is to serve. It is to say, you know what, this is my ministry. I care for this section of the church, and I'm going to wholeheartedly do it. But then have breaks. That's why in growth groups, we have, uh, in the summer, we have rest. You're just here, and, 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 and we're doing all the work, right? And you just get to enjoy it. And then you start to learn uh, for disciplines, there are upstream and downstream practices. We'll learn this in session three more, but you start to do things that 
aren't fun, but so good for your soul. That's called an upstream practice. But then you do some things that are so fun and good for your soul, and those are downstream practices. So in this journey, you actually get a lot more intentional with what you're doing, and it's a lot more focused, and you understand the process. Now, here's what happens in stage three, though. God begins to introduce what's called a holy dissatisfaction. You just know there's got to be something more, right? I hope. I'm burnt out. Is this all there is? There's a moment in my journey where like, I don't want to preach about God and, his, and joining the ministry. I'm tired of the ministry, right? Is, is this, am I trying to get everybody to the point where I'm at in my life? Because I don't like where I'm at in my life. And it's this holy dissatisfaction where you're like, God, I didn't pray to you today. And I don't like that. Something feels off. And so, anyways, moving forward. Sadly, most evangelical churches, and I don't like to be the guy that bags on other churches, but we've all been trained, seminaries, all this stuff. It seems like most of us have no idea how to take you further than this step. It seems most of us as pastors never go beyond this stage. And I certainly didn't until learning this, and I love what God has shown me, and that's why I was so convinced I need to talk to you guys about this. Now, here's the hard part, though. There's another, there's called, there's like a break. There's an interim period between, again, none of this is perfectly linear, but most of the time this happens between stage three, which is all about serving God and all the stuff, into stage four, and it's called the dark night of the soul. I'm not talking about Batman, but it's the dark night of the soul, about darkness. Psalm 51 is a great passage to think about. So again, God, I believe in you. God, I belong to you. God, I'm working for you. And now, God, where are you? Where are you, God? I don't even know if I believe anymore. This is a hard season. What this does, a lot of people call it a wall. It's a wall that works through your wounds and your wickedness. And this is hard for being a Southern Baptist. We love to talk about wickedness. Yeah, we'll tell you how you're a sinner for sure. But... What I'm actually learning too, we have to talk about your wounds because guess what? People have sinned against you and we don't have that victim mentality where everything, but guys, some of us are victims because there are evil people out there who have done evil things to you and Jesus wants to minister to that wound. What the dark night does, he says, I'm not going any further till you and I talk about this wound and work through it. And for so long, we've just, we hide it. We act like everything's okay, addictions, what things people have done to us in our past, whatever it is, wounds or wickedness. And the dark night, God says, let's work on this because he loves you. Um, Thomas Ashbrook says, we underestimate the depth of our dependence on this world, our distrust of God's goodness and the brokenness of our human nature. God sees it all but loves us too much to let us remain there. And most of the time, the way for him to get our attention is to give us a dark night of the soul. So during this season, God graciously shows you how wicked you are. It's great. So thanks, God. <laughs> I'm excited to serve people today now. I'm terrible, right? Why does he want to show you your wickedness, though? Because grace abounds all the more. He loves you. All of you. I think that's good. Why does he want to show you your wounds? He reveals so that you may be healed. He doesn't take pleasure just in pointing things out. You have to open the wound. I'm not a nurse. You do stuff with it, right? You got to deal with it or else it'll get worse. And so he's been gracious in letting you avoid it up to this point, but no more avoiding. 
Let's work on this. Now we have to beware during this season of the dark night. Beware of, self, beware of self-righteousness. Um, we can really become prideful and just assume we figured this out. There's no more to learn about God. That's why I don't hear him anymore. So now it's just my, my joy is just talking it to you and how much better you are. But really avoid self-rejection too. Big deception in this stage is you, you feel self-rejection. You, shame and fear are your reality. And you don't let Jesus meet you in your shame and fear. You just live in shame and fear. I would love to talk about that more, but we need to move forward. Here's the last one. Stage four is union. Jesus has a great, um, and John 15 through 17 is a lot about that union. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right, John 17, may, may we be one as you and I are one. There's so much oneness there. Uh, Philippians 3 is a great one as well. One way to describe it is releasing what's interesting to feast on what's integrating. So it's, what I mean by that is now you're not just here to get entertained, to learn something new. Like you want God to fully, you want to fully embrace God in every aspect of your life. So now this one, again, it was God, I, um, I'm starting to forget him now. God, I believe in you. God, I belong to you. God, I'm working for you. God, where are you? Now this one is, God, I long to be with you. Remember Paul? He's like, I'd rather be in heaven right now, but for your sake, I'm still here. He was in stage four where he's like, I just want to be with God. I'm tired of this world. I'm ready to go to heaven, right? But not in a, in a some of us just want to be in heaven because we just hate people. That's not the reason, right? Um, it's just like, I just love you. And that's why I want to be with you. Um, in the stage four, so in the, in the mansions, uh, St. Teresa has seven mansions. So mansion one is stage one, mansion two is stage two, mansion three is stage three. But now she has four more mansions. And mansions four through seven are kind of all summarized in this stage four. I just didn't think we can deal with seven mansions, so we brought it down to four. Amen? Okay, and so, but think about this as the betrothal process. This Jesus is the groom of your life. Like my spiritual director is working on this with me and he makes a lot of awkward marriage illustrations to show how you and Jesus are that kind of unified, right? And so it's really important to see this. Friends, so many people never get here and there is joy in this journey. And here's what I did wrong last year. I think I insinuated you can only get there when you're about to die. I think last year I said like, Two weeks before you're dead. Have fun with that one. (laughs) Right? I'm actually recognizing, no, it's not about age. In fact, I would argue I'm, um, yes, so um, we want to offer you guys, those who want like one-on-one consultations, we have this whole Excel spreadsheet where you answer some questions and it gives you some graphs and it shows you which mansion that you're in. And so I'm in mansion four and five. So like with the mansions, like you can go hang out at one and then go to another and you're just kind of like chilling. So I'm like in mansion four and five. So I'm in this betrothal process and I thought I wouldn't get there until I was about to die, right? And so um, this is a very good thing. Here's some delights. You experience deliverance. Like you actually get past some of that shame and fear that has riddled you your whole life. You actually love God. You actually know what that means now. And here's the cool thing. You really love everyone. You see everyone as sheep without a shepherd. You care for people. And the best delight, I think, 1 Timothy 6, you have godly contentment. You're not in a rush. God is so good. And so there's times where you don't, you, you kind of change all your plans because you feel like God's just talking to you. In this stage of the Christian life, it's less about you talking to God and God talking to you. 
my spiritual director is trying to make me do these silence where I'm just there. And it's not this Eastern weird stuff, but it's this, okay, God, I have this biblical truth. I want you to speak to me about that truth. Here's some deceptions, though. Um, you become over-reliant on your disciplines. Your disciplines, this prayer life, fasting, Sabbath, has done so much to help you get to this point. And so you start to think the only reason you're there is because of these practices of Jesus. And that's simply not true. It's because of the presence of Jesus. Now, the practices helped you, but it gets to a point where we're only here to do the practices and we forget about the presence. Another thing is discouragement. Uh, you get really discouraged that people aren't where you're at. You see the world and how much they're missing out on. You get discouraged in ministry. You feel like you're trying to get people here to stage four, but it's so hard to bring people here. There's such a long process to get there. And so you're just like, you're just sad all the time. You're grieving because you're in this place and you know that they have no idea how good this is. Okay, and so, but some deceptions, the devil uses it to get you very discouraged. Some disciplines, you go on silent retreats. Um, again, having a, another discipline is having a spiritual director, and those two things usually go hand in hand, where they help guide you, but then they give you time with just you and God, and you hear from God. A big discipline is you change your pace of life. Your pace of life is different. You're not rushing from one thing to the next. You recognize that God is gracious in each moment. And in fact, um, you love, you, you start to realize it's called blessed interruptions. You're waiting for God to, to show up and to change your calendar, to change your schedule. You just don't want to, like Moses said, God, we won't move in, unless you come with us. And that's the stage that you're in. Now, we're going to look, especially session three, we're going to look at what are some of your unique practices or what makes you unique and how is God working. Um, we actually going to do some, um, some personality things uh, because actually our personalities are usually formed based off of the wounds of our past and the wickedness in our heart. And so we're doing these personality assessments to recognize why you've been so hurt by this world and how you have hurt other people in this world. And I think it's such a gift um, that I'm excited about. Another thing, this isn't linear. Let me encourage you. Um, the reason why she calls it mansions is because sometimes you go visit. You go get an Airbnb, you go back to mansion one, right? You need to hang out for a while. And so God will be gracious to you. Sometimes there's the season of rest and it's because you're back in mansion one, you feel like you have a honeymoon again, right? Or it's another, all right, we got some more sin to deal with. Back to mansion two. You're like, not this one again, right? And so God does this. Also, this isn't a competition, okay? Which mansion are you? Ooh, I'm... I'm too ahead of you, all right? Yeah, everybody listen to me, right? And by saying that, you're back to mansion one, okay? So this isn't about that. And so be encouraged. This is my problem because it's been a year and I'm in the same mansion. You know, and I'm like telling my spiritual director, I need to go to the next one, okay? Or another room or something, right? It's a new season. This candle is not working for me, all right? Let's go in the next room. Um, but anyways, it's not a competition, it's not about getting to the next stage, but it's about taking your next step. It's not about the next stage, but God wants to take the next step with you. And guess what? It's the next step with you. It's not he's way over here. Come on. He's walking alongside of you every step of the way. And he is such a gracious God. And he wants you to know how much he loves you. And that's the Christian life too. It's not about how much you love him. It's actually a recognition of how much he loves you. That's the game changer. And you think you have it figured out, and then God brings you to the next mansion. You're like, no, he really loves me now, and then he really loves me now. It's this beautiful process. And I believe God would take all of us to mansion seven right away, if he could. But we have so many things to work out. We distrust God. 
We don't open our hearts out to him. And so he has to take us on this journey. And I pray every single person in this room for the rest of their life joyfully takes steps with Jesus and recognizing the love that he has for you. 